The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Please be seated. In speaking about putting yourself in a story, there are a few just truly pivotal moments in the story of Scripture, and this is one of them. When the, the, the mission that God begins to rescue a fallen creation takes on shape, and the call goes out. And we talked last week about how, I believe it was Terah, Abram's father, that received the call first, and then, as he was on his way, he got distracted by one of those way stations we heard about in our prayer this morning, and stayed at Haran, this comfortable place that was much like home, that was a city dedicated to the God that he was accustomed to worshiping. But while there... Abram receives a call from God, and my goodness, I would love to be able to be there in that moment and see how Abram reacted. However it was, any doubts that he may have had, any concerns he may have had, we don't have any of those. What we see is obedience. And that's something about Abram that we're going to see. He is imperfect through and through. As we go through the stories where he is one of the main characters. We're going to not see an example of a perfect saint. We're going to see an example that we can all relate to, someone who was called, who commits, and who makes mistake after mistake after mistake on the way. But what's so amazing about the story of Abram, and it's true for us as well, is that we worship a God who wants to partner with us. Let me, let, me, let me make that just as clear as possible. You here today are worshiping a God who wants to partner with you. He wants to partner with you. He knows you. He knows the best of you, and he knows the worst of you. He knows your greatest qualities, and he knows that part of yourself that you hope never gets revealed to another person because you just know that part of yourself is rotten, and he loves you. 
And he wants to partner with you, not just save you. He, would, he does that too. And my goodness, that's important. But it isn't just that. He not only wants to save you, he then wants to partner with you. He looks at you and says, let's work together. My goodness. And that's the sermon summary for today. God wants you to be his partner. God wants you to be his partner. Now in the series before the one that we're in now, we talked about, we went through the stories that show about how this creation, this world God had made, that he'd put man and woman in the garden and called them to rule over creation. And then we talked about how that went wrong, how sin infiltrated and infected all of it, and things went awry. The kingdom was stolen. And now we're looking toward a promised kingdom, the way that God is going to rescue his fallen creation. So to begin with today, I want to talk to you about covenants. I also want to encourage you, we're going to be going through a few different Bible passages today, and I do not have them for the PowerPoint. So if you have a Bible app on your phone that you need some time to get to or get ready, or if you're willing to use the, the Pew Bible, or if you brought your own, just be ready to go with me through a couple of passages today. I want to talk about covenants. Other words for covenants that we're comfortable with or we're familiar with are alliances. A covenant is like an alliance. In some ways, it's like a contract, but it's deeper than that. Another word that we hear often, but you may not know is connected to this word covenant, is testament. Covenants and testaments are the same thing. Your Bible is broken up into two parts, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, when the, when the Old Testament talks about covenants, it, do, it doesn't talk about writing them or speaking them. It talks about cutting them or carving them. And that's because there were two ways that a covenant was made in the ancient world. One involved the cutting of animals. We're going to talk about that next week. But the other was to carve them in something permanent, like stone. Because you see, a covenant was not a temporary thing. It was a forever thing, a thing that was created and was intended to last. And the thing about covenants is they had a couple of different pieces. Each side made promises. And those promises took a couple of shapes. There might be duties, things that you have to do, and there might be restrictions, things that you're not allowed to do. And when you make the covenant, you are promising to do the things you're supposed to do and to not do the things you're not supposed to do, right? Duties and restrictions. For example, in the Old Covenant, one of the, one of the requirements, one of the duties was to obey God, right? Abraham and his family, the Israelites, they took on that duty. They made that promise. They also promised not to seek after other gods, something we will do, something we won't do. There were a lot more than this, of course. And in the covenants that, were most, that are most common today, we see this kind of thing as well. A marriage is a covenant. It's an agreement, but it's deeper than that. It's like a contract, but it's more than that. It's this covenant that you enter into someone else that's supposed to last. It's not a temporary thing. 
And we see that it has duties, promises. There are vows that you take. And then also there are restrictions. When you say yes to your spouse, if you are a man saying yes to a wife, you are saying no to three and a half billion other women who live on this planet. There are restrictions inside of that covenant as well. But it's not just promises in a covenant. A covenant also has consequences. A covenant has consequences. You remember the story of the golden calf in Exodus 32. We're right there at the beginning of this this renewed or new covenant time that's being made between God and his people. They go as far away from his calling to them as they possibly could, and there are consequences. There was punishment. And then also we see in Deuteronomy 32, if you've never read Deuteronomy 32, I recommend it. Open your Bible, put a little circle there or a mark, or write yourself a note, because in there are all these consequences of what will happen if Israel disobeys or breaks faith in the covenant. And as you read the rest of your Old Testament, you see them come about. Those aren't surprises. Those are the things God said would happen if his people disobeyed. There are promises and there are consequences. So what's happening in our story today is God comes to Abram. We have three different stories where they make an agreement or enter a covenant. We have beginning here in Genesis 12. We see it again in Genesis 15 and again in Genesis 17. And what's happening with God working with Abram going to Abram, making promises to Abram, calling Abram, is that he is beginning this rescue mission. God tells us in Deuteronomy 32 that he's turned the world over. When they had decided, we see it at Babel, we see it throughout those early stories, when they rebel, turn away, and desire to chase after other gods, he turns them over and he starts new with a family out of which he will create a nation. He's launching a new people. And that people will come from Abraham's family. And they are the focus of the rest of the Old Testament. Every book is about what God is doing in and around and through Abraham's family. It's being launched here. So what are God's promises to Abraham? What are the promises he's making in this covenant? We see in our passage this morning, the first one is this, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham, about this time, was probably around 75 years old. And he was childless. In the ancient world, being 75 and childless, it must have been a difficult thing to believe that he would be made into a great nation. And yet that is the promise. And that's a promise we see fulfilled already by the beginning of the next book of the Bible. At the beginning of Exodus, there is already a great nation that has come from Abraham. His family has grown significantly. The third promise, we're going a little out of order here, but there's a reason, is that that he will, through Abraham, bring a blessing to all people. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And then he promises Abraham this. He promises him a great name. A great name. Now, a name is great 
when it's remembered. And the more it's remembered, the greater it is. God is saying to Abraham, those people just a, a couple of chapters ago in the Bible, they wanted to create this tower to make a great name for themselves that was futile. And I disrupted it because it was an act of idolatry. But you, Abraham, if you will follow me, I will make your name great. And has he? Of course he has. We see in Romans 4, Paul tells us that Abraham is our father in the faith. He is the father of God's people in the Old Testament, Israel. He's the father of spiritual Israel as well, the church. Abraham's name indeed has been made great. More than that, we see our, or his story recorded. These chapters, these stories, they're there forever. And we read about what's going on with Abraham's walk of faith, his successes and failures, those moments when he obeys God, even though it was going to cost him everything, as he takes his son up a mountain to sacrifice him, not because he wants to, not because he can imagine doing it, because he trusts God and is willing to obey that much. We say yes. And then we see the valleys, too, where somehow in this, this total lapse of faith in God, he flees to Egypt, and because there's a powerful man there, he looks at his wife and says, you're too beautiful, I'll be killed on your, for your sake, so he can have you, so we're going to pretend we're not married, so that Pharaoh can take her and not feel like he needs to kill Abram. And we say, what are you doing? And we see ourselves in those stories. If there's one thing you get out of today, I want you to read Abraham's stories and see yourself in it, the good the times that he follows and he listens and the times that he just messes up. And even those add to the greatness of his name because still here, thousands and thousands of years later, we see ourselves in Abraham. He messes up. He pretends his wife is just his sister. She actually is his sister, but he pretends she's just his sister. That wasn't bad back then, but it is bad now, in case no one knew that. He tries to force God's promises to come early when Sarai's not able to conceive. He takes a concubine. And then when God says, that's not what I wanted for you to do, he allows Sarai to mistreat her so badly she flees into the desert into what is almost certainly certain death. She basically is treated so badly and he allows it as she attempts to commit suicide. Abraham is not perfect, but, but God promised him a great name, and we can know for sure that he has delivered. So those are God's promises. A nation, a name, a blessing. What are Abraham's promises? What are his duties? The first one is to obey. We see that here in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And then after that come these promises. Well, we know that Terah got halfway to the promised land and stopped. And that's why I'm convinced this is the story of Abram and not the story of Terah. Abram, to receive these promises from God, his duty, his part, is to obey. 
When he's told to go, he has to go. When he's told to take his son up on the mountain, he has to take his son up on the mountain. Those are Abraham's promises. And then the second one, it's buried in here a little bit, but I, I, we miss it when we just read through. It's in verse 2. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. That's an imperative statement. That's a command. He's not, he's not saying you're going to be a blessing. He's saying, hey, you, be a blessing. Abraham's called to obey and he's called to be a blessing to the world around him. In chapter 17, which we'll talk more about next week, God lays it out very clearly. He says in the first verse that Abraham's job is to walk before the Lord faithfully. God says your duty is faith. This is it. This is what Abraham has to do. He has to be faithful and be a blessing. Think about how incredible this is. There's a world full of people. And Abraham is not the best. He's not the most powerful. He's almost certainly not the wisest, right? There's not a lot that sets him apart from other people. His only qualification, the only thing that we can look at and say this is exceptional, is that he said yes. Abraham's only qualification is that he said yes when God called and then followed faithfully, though imperfectly. God chose someone to be the one through whom he would save the world, and he didn't choose the natural choice. He didn't choose a, a ruler, a king, a leader. He chose Abraham, a 75-year-old man without a child who was still living at home. You think it might be bad in our culture today when we see people that are, you know, the joke is, Still 30, living at home, it's time to move out, right? Abraham's 75, and he's still in his father's household. He hasn't made a name for himself. He hasn't struck out on his own. His brother had. He had not. The only thing that makes him exceptional here is that he says yes. And that's the thing about God. You see, God didn't need Abraham. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God can do whatever he wants to on his own, but it is his delight to work through us, to partner with us. And he doesn't need someone who's amazing. He doesn't need someone who's qualified in every way. He just needs someone who will say, he wants someone who will say, yes. Let me ask you, truthfully, are you someone who's ready to say, yes? There's this promise that I said we'd come back to. Abraham would be a blessing to all people, or that through Abraham would come a blessing to all people. And we know that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. What is happening with the calling of Abraham is the beginning of the story that will come, culminate, that will climax, that will come to fulfillment with the birth of Jesus. God in the flesh. That's the incredible honor, the incredible blessing that God has promised to Abraham, is that through you will come the one that will save the world. It's a pretty big blessing. Through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, 
this descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, showed us what the kingdom of God is like, showed us what God is like through his love and care and compassion, both created an example to follow and then, in his death and resurrection, took on death itself and overcame it, making a way for eternal life for everyone who would follow him. That's the blessing that God promises will come through Abraham. These are big, big promises. Now here's the thing about Abraham's covenant. It's a lot like ours. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, you can read with me or just listen. He says this, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, there wasn't a set of laws for Abraham to obey. That came later. Abraham was only called to follow faithfully. Now, there are expectations. He's called to be a blessing, right? But the whole thing is based right there on faith. That's very similar to ours. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to go with me if you've got a Bible that you're able to use. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. If you're determined to just listen, that's okay. You don't have to reach for a Bible when you see me looking at you promise I'm not judging. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say not a part of this creation. So he came as our high priest. He goes through heaven he says he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, the place that was preserved and only for God. He enters it once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, having made a way for all of us to be forgiven and to live forever. You see, the blood and goats, this is verse 13, and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, they sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. But how much more Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? You see, because of what Christ has done, because of this descendant of Abraham, his actions, and what God has brought through him, forgiveness is available to us. The call for us is right here at the end, that we may serve the living God. In other words, that we may respond with faith, that we may worship him. And so God comes to us, having made this way for us, each and every one of us, and he says, you, you, you imperfect but beloved child of mine, I want to partner with you. And I know that you don't think that you're qualified. I'm accustomed to that. We, we remember how God had to speak to Moses and said, Moses, I have this incredible job for you. And Moses says, I can't do that. And God says, I know. 
I'll do it. You just have to go. He comes to us and he says the same thing. He's going to call you to amazing, important things. He may, cause you, he may call you to raise up another one in the faith. I don't know if there is a higher or more important calling than that. He may call you to love a partner or spouse in a way that no one else ever has or will so that they can come to understand his love for them through the way they see you love them. He may call you to spend a life dedicated to service in a, in a career. He may call you to spend a life dedicated to service in a group of people, a church, a fellowship, whatever it is, whatever the calling is, it matters eternally. It's big. There are no small callings from God. You, Christian, you are called to things that are amazing. And if you don't know that, then one of two things has happened. Either you've looked at amazing things and missed how important they are, or you've not seen what he's called you to yet. He comes to you and he says, I have incredible things in store for you. And what I want from you is to, to follow me, to respond and live with faith, to put your allegiance in me. And he looks at you and he tells you, I love you more than you could possibly know. I mean, God loves you so much. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit. He wants to be with you always. Always. Can you imagine? God loves you so much, he never gets tired of you. My poor wife, who swore to live with me for the rest of her life, I guarantee you she does not want to be with me always. God loves me that much. He loves you that much. He looks at you and delights in you rejoices over you with singing, and he says, I have something amazing in store for you. Will you follow me? Church, I hope that all of us have said to God, yes. And then when he comes and he says, this is what I want you to do, I hope that you respond and say yes. I hope you don't say, I can't. I'm not qualified. I don't have the skills. I don't have the capabilities. How am I supposed to do that? He called a 75-year-old man to leave his parents' house for the first time to launch the rescue mission through which the world would be saved. He called Moses at 80 years old to go and stand up to the most powerful man in the world and proclaim that all of his slaves needed to be set free. He does not need you to be capable. He just needs you to be willing. And he gives us these promises our covenant, our partnership with him comes with the promises that we will be adopted into his family. We will be his son or daughter. He looks at you and he says, you are my child. He smiles down at you proudly and he says, that's my kid. He promises to give us his Holy Spirit who will be with us, empower us, convict us, encourage us, give us the information we need in the right moment. He promises us that we will live with him forever. A life so abundant and overflowing it will never end. And he promises us also that he will use us 
in his rescue mission to save the world. Our promise to him is faith, allegiance, commitment, and we will do it imperfectly. Hear me. If you're sitting right now thinking, but I'm so, so flawed, he knows. He calls you anyway. He's forgiven the sins you haven't even committed yet, the ones you're going to commit today and tomorrow, if you've come to him and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those are already forgiven. That doesn't make them okay. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to avoid sin and do righteousness, but it does mean that you are loved and forgiven, adopted as his, and called to amazing things. So as we read the amazing story of Abraham, one of the questions I want you to ask yourself is, what has God called me to? And to know that you're right when you say, I can't do that on my own. He doesn't need you to be capable. Hear me. He doesn't need you to be capable. He just needs you to say, yes. Pray with me. Father God, you are amazing, and we love you. And we praise you today. We thank you for this story of Abraham, a story we can relate to, a story of an imperfect person trying to follow a perfect God. Lord, we ask that you reveal to us those things in us that pull us away from you, that cause us to not hear your call or to turn away and say no. Empower us to confess them, Lord, repent of them, and follow you more closely. And Lord, if ever the lie springs up in us that we're not capable, God can't be calling me to that because I can't do it. Help us to know, Lord, that it is a lie. There is only one in Scripture who was qualified for the calling he had from God, and that was God himself in a man, Jesus Christ. We are not you. Lord, you don't need us to be capable. You just need us to be willing. Make us willing, Lord. Help us find whatever it is we need to find to be ready to say yes when you call. We pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.